What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to another edition of Cavs a Blog Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm joined tonight by uh, Ben Wirth, who is staying up late in the uh, in the GDR, the German Democratic <laughs> Republic. That's the GDR. Was that West East Germany? Was East Germany the GDR? That, that was East, man. I'm on the oh. West side. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I I was trying to be all smart, and then I just came off sounding dumb. <laughs> Like no, I'm actually like right on the, the border of Bel- so what's uh, Belgium. What, what's the official name of the country of Germany? Like oh, America, the, the United States of America. What's what's Germany? It's like they're an official like the democracy of Germany or something. You don't know. Yeah, it's something like that. Well, the thing is because it has like the German title and then the American title. I don't know. I can't remember oh, what it's okay. called. Okay. Well, because like the <laughs> difference between the DDR. Like for example, like the the DDR versus the the GDR. Oh man, excuse me. Good way to start the pod. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we could got actually, a little bit. We could start this over if you want. Because <laughs> we've kind of gone nowhere for three minutes. We don't. We don't want to lose this amazing German. Like in this amount of time, I should go like really check up exactly what German is. Federal Republic of Germany. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. This is. <laughs> It's perfect. You know, I even had to I had to pass like a citizenship test, like not to German? become a citizen. Are you a German? No, but person? no, man, I'm not. I'm still I'm still Ami all the way. They call them Amis here, which is pretty funny. Okay. Um, that, but that's, the that's short for American. Yeah, uh, yeah, for yeah. All but uh, non German listeners. <laughs> so, but I had to take this test like in order to get my permanent residence visa, which is which is looking, which is looking uh, pretty. Amazing, considering I don't know the name of the country, but success. <laughs> Smuggled in, man. Those are those are the lax immigration laws that Germany has. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's actually get off the subject of Germany and uh, talk about the Cavs. Um, so it was a very mixed bag over the course of the last week. Uh, the Cavs played 
five games in seven nights uh, and went... See, I don't even have the numbers in front of me, but I know the last one was a loss. Um, So, yeah, it was uh, the Miami Heat kind of whooped their butts uh, down in Miami last night, and I wrote a scathing editorial about it. Um, And the Cavs were down by 30 at one point, and what concerned me more than anything, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but uh, what concerned me more than anything, the Cavs looked like they were trying, and yeah. they were getting their butts kicked. So yeah, the Cavs went 3-2 and two on that road trip and lost to the Jazz and the uh, and then the Miami Heat uh, with a three-game or, yeah, three and five, anyway, in the last, three and two in the last week. So uh, yeah. yeah, the Cavs looked like they were trying against uh, the Heat. Uh, Was that your perception? Yeah, I mean, it was... It's pretty pretty bad when all of the usual issues that the Cavs have as far as, like, effort are not there, and they still get hammered. I mean, Kyrie was was really trying. He was was flying around the court as much as he can on defense. No, he Uh, was engaged. That that was the most engaged I've seen him from start to finish on defense, possibly all season. Yeah, I mean, especially with how hard we, the two of us especially, have been on, on Kyrie over the course of the season and his career, uh, really over the last couple couple games this, this week. I mean, he's, he's had some pretty good effort yeah. um, offensively and defensively. He's hitting that pocket pass on the pick and roll more often. His shots uh, and, are coming around a little bit, and he's aggressively taking guys to the hole like he yeah, has before. And, and defensively, which is really just the issue, is like he he was really like you you wrote in your cap. I mean, he was in his stance more than he's been pretty much ever, and he wasn't getting caught in between as much. I mean, if he if he got lost on the on the high side of the screen and roll, he would at least try to fight back some direction. Yeah. And if if he couldn't get to the primary handler and had to do a switch, he was doing a pretty good job of uh, you know trying to do that chump stripped down on the big man and i mean just and if and he, and if he was even he was even boxing out uh on the switches which i haven't seen him do yeah. in a long time yeah which 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 makes him one of the few guys who might uh, bothered to box out yesterday yes but yeah i mean as far as his effort level goes i mean one can say yeah they were trying i think offensively lebron did a really nice job off ball a lot of those, the, you know, he had a pretty good stat line, and it seems like it was ISO. But actually, even though Austin and was talking about him doing it by himself, a lot of it was was created by Delhi and Kyrie, and he was playing pretty good off ball uh, mm-hmm. in that game, and that was that was nice to see. But defensively, he just wasn't doing anything. So if he we're was, talking about different level, yeah. And you and I and, talked about it, and I put in film of just yeah. like, terrible closeouts um, that directly led to nine points. Um, yeah. Off the ball. I mean, he had that one block on Wade, but it was like he. I just got off it. So here's the question. So we've got uh, Josh Richards, Josh Richardson, uh, who was a rookie for the Heat, uh, scored yeah. 19 in that game, went uh, four or five from the line. Uh, I think four or six by the end of the game four from six, the three point yeah. line. And are the Cavs? It's either one of two things. Are they not paying attention to the scouting report, or is it not in the scouting report 
that the guy's shooting over 60% from three in the month, month of March. I mean, is it laziness or is it bad coaching or bad execution? You know, I got to say yes. Um, <laughs> part of, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, part of the good coaching is understanding when your players are lazy and doing right. something about it. Right. And he, this team is just lazy and it's led by a, the, you know, a basketball beautiful mind who's lazy. And so if you're going to have a team that follows his lead and, you know, Fortunately, when he's in the playoffs, you know, LeBron's issues in the playoffs are usually not on the defensive end. So that's at least one thing that's, that one can, can hang, hang his hat on. Mm-hmm. Um, his issues in the playoffs, mostly on the ISO stuff, and blah, blah. But we all know that he turns up his effort level on, on defense when the playoffs come. So I, I try not to get too bent out of shape when he's watching people shoot. But, you know, for the coach... When you already have, when you're working, you know, against the eight ball or whatever the phrase is, um, with your best player not really leading by example, then you know you got to do a good job of making that that scouting report really, you know, important because you know everybody has a scouting report and these things are not. It's not very hard to look at a, a box score of the last few games and be like, who's that Richardson guy? Wow, he's making a lot of shots. Like this is not a difficult task. And so well, you know, I feel the like guys... it is for the Cavs because <laughs> throughout the season yeah. I've seen just guys completely ignoring. You know, here's my thought. I figure if I can spot it, then a halfway competent NBA coach should be able to spot when a guy's playing a player not for his strong hand. You know, and yeah. I've seen that over and over. And and from guys normally that you would think would have that in their brains you know you got Matthew Delavadova you've got him on Shumpert uh Tris or Kyrie Irving not always the greatest at that but I've you know I've seen it from him too uh LeBron James it's like consistently the Cavs seem to not push not overplay the strong hand against guys who are strong hand dominant and well I mean even more of the strong hand stuff I mean a lot of that has to do with I never see whether the Cavs are trying to force people away from the pick or using the pick or going to the middle or forcing them away from the middle. I mean, like, there are basic defensive principles that you should be able to see when you watch a game with a good defensive team to know that, you know, the Spurs never allow middle. Like, they will do whatever they can to not allow middle on a pick and roll. Right. And and most... They deny the pick, they ice the pick and roll. The Cavs are terrible at icing the pick and roll right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just... push it one way or the other. Yeah, and so when you don't, when you don't see that, I never, you know, how, how good are the mics? Can we really tell whether the big men are calling out ice or whether, like, the Spurs call it push or whatever, but, like, regardless of what it is... I don't think the big men are very good at communicating at all, because I have seen that game you saw... A lot of Delhi and Irving getting hung out to drive by the big men on that game. And yeah. I saw a lot of effort from the guards and not knowing where the big man was going to be for a lot of the game. Like, Delhi was trailing the play a ton. Um, and then uh, Kyrie actually was pretty good. But the way Goran Dragic is shooting right now, you shouldn't be going over picks with him. You, you've no. got to make him shoot prove that he can shoot three pointers before you you go over uh, over the screen instead of under the screen 
But I mean, yeah, they don't even take any. They don't take any threes off the dribble anymore. I mean, that's one right. thing they've been pretty diligent about because Wade stopped taking threes. Strategy is, isn't taking threes right now. So basically, all the threes they're getting is off of, of right. from wing players and off of action. Yeah, uh, they, you know, the, the best screen that Kevin set the whole game was on Kyrie on a back cut. Like I mean, Kyrie put his hands up and he was trying to uh, yeah. with Drogic on a cut and and Love just ran right into him. It was just like, ah, yeah. oh, come on, guys. Yeah, and I saw that the other night with uh, Richard Jefferson just completely screened Kyrie in the uh, Miami game uh, on a play, and it was like, <laughs> it's 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 not very good defense when you're doing that. So, and the Cavs kind of never seem to know when they're going to switch. Uh, never seem to have a plan if they're going to ice. Uh, you know whether they're going to go over or under. They just kind of seem to let other teams dictate how they are going to run the pick and roll instead of the other way around. And there's nothing the Cavs are doing aggressively defensively to try and deny that. It's like, okay, we're just going to give you this and beat you with offense. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, Mike Longabardi has been possibly one of the worst hirings I've seen all year by any team fired in Phoenix for coaching a train wreck of a defense and then coming to Cleveland to take over Ty Lue's spot and watching the defense go in the toilet since uh, Ty Lue took over the head spot. I mean, it's not abysmal. Uh, I think they're still in the top half of the league, but it's definitely, from the eye test and the stats test, uh, dropped. Since, uh, it's been pretty bad, but there's another aspect too. I mean, if you go just from you know black numbers versus Lou numbers, and the games that Kyrie played in, I mean, a lot of people will point to the offense being better because since Lou's taken over, but they also have a a healthier yeah, Irving, Irving for the yeah. offensive side. But that also means they have a healthier Irving for the defensive side. So the defensive numbers are going to suffer. Who is uh, still. Uh, on average, last two games, accepting one of the worst defenders in the league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's literally he's rated uh, however much you want to put into real plus minus. Is, no, I think know, it's the, it was but, around negative. I looked it up earlier. It was around negative two point seven four, which is uh, uh, which is in the bottom bottom, uh, bottom ten, 10 in oh, point guards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Lillard's still worse than him, so I'm I'm always going to trump that. I'm gonna, <laughs> when anytime people get too excited about Lillard, I'm going to remind people that he's well. He's that's just what's able. frustrating about Kyrie is you see a game like today and you realize he's capable of playing much yeah. better defense. He just doesn't do it consistently. And one of the things, and I pointed this out in the uh, in my recap today, is he's gotten very good at the sneaky double down and stealing the ball from the big man. Uh, yeah. And he has good hands when he uses them and when he's in good defensive positioning. Um, yeah, he can dribble like that. He clearly has fast hands. I mean, right. he's, he's a quick pitch guy. Right. So uh, we saw some other things today. Uh, the other big uh, bugaboo that stood out, and he didn't play a ton of minutes, but Kevin Love seemed completely, I don't want to say misused, lost, um, kind of in no man's land a lot of the game on offense and defense uh what did you see from kevin love at least offensively that was problematic for the Cavs today uh it's just nothing 
I mean, that's kind of the issue. There, there, he was not a presence at all, and I, whether that was because of... I mean, I'm tired of having the same issue. Like, is it because the guys don't set anything up for him, or is it because he doesn't demand the ball ever? Um, where he's getting offensively... I mean, he played 16 minutes, which, you know, a lot of the guys... None of the guys really played big minutes because they got blown right. up early. Well, and they were on the back end of a back-to-back, and, you know, I understand yeah, uh, that, but... As, he, as my daughter told of. me yesterday, my excuse is hurt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's got to be basic with him. He he really is, as much as, you know, maybe he's not being as, as amazing as he could be, he's still a very good offensive player when he's doing what he should be doing. And so, like, if he's got a bigger guy on him, he's got to use his quickness. And if he has a smaller guy on him, then he's got to use his size. And sometimes he just kind of gets confused of which one to use. I think the the issue of you know Stoudemire taking a really owning him in the beginning part of a game. I mean Amari Stoudemire who plays like he's fifty and Love really couldn't do anything size wise against Stoudemire, which is kind of a shock because in the past you'd think, and I know this is a running thought for you, like how much weaker is Kevin Love now that he's not able to to at least bang with a, a guy Stoudemire size. Um, but when he did get those open looks on the, on the three ball, I mean, he went one for four, so, you know, it's better than an over, but he's got to make people pay more on those, right. on those shots. And, um, and I wrote about it a little bit, you know, uh, Tom Pestak wrote the other day about how the Cavs were running this offense to get Kevin Love the ball and the foul line extended and good things were happening, you know, the elbow area throughout. And then there was none of that tonight. It was like send LeBron into the post and send up four other guys to the other side of the court. Um, and yeah. he was an afterthought. And if you're gonna you if you're gonna put Kevin Love in as an afterthought, you might as well almost not play him. <laughs> because, well, the thing is that yeah, involve him in some of the screens or actually run some sets i mean the and when i say sets i don't mean set plays like we need to do set plays but there are basic you know whether it's the spurs motion offense whether it's motion weak or motion strong or whether it's the run triangle some floppy, run some horns you know yeah or just or even even if you're running a high pick and roll with lebron yeah and spacing at least make the space uh, a useful like do some off uh some space screening, like, you know, just spacing doesn't mean standing there all the time. I mean, you can run some screening off size and duck in. You know, there's uh, a couple plays that they have run throughout throughout the season that incorporate the Cavs, I can't even say it, big whatever three, but, I mean, there are, a lot of times they run a pistol formation with them. Um, just, like, clarify pistol, like, for guys who don't know. I mean, it's sort of... Well, it's, it's funny the, because the pistol is also a uh, football. Yeah, football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the pistol basically is a three-man kind of strong side thing where uh, the point guard or any the ball handler will bring the ball up, and you'll get uh, a, the a trailer big man toward the middle of the floor, and then you'll have a wing player, and they all kind of converge together on on the wing, and. The normal version is that the, the ball handler will hit the wing player and then the wing player will throw the ball right back to the ball handler and then do some uh, scissors 
cuts like the two other guys involved in the play. And occasionally you'll see some pistol action and variations off the pistol action with with Kevin, LeBron, and Kyrie. And it's yeah, they've they've run that a lot of times at end of game situations in the last couple of years, and it's been very effective. Yeah, especially one of my favorite versions of it, it's usually like a third or fourth option off the pistol, is that if right. you give the ball over to Love at the top of the uh, uh, the three-point line, and then Kyrie sets a back screen for LeBron going toward the hoop, and either the alley-oop to LeBron is there, or you can then go, go seamlessly into a pick-and-roll with Kyrie yeah. and Kevin. Or, or and, you dump it down to LeBron on a switch, um, and, he usually, and he has a smaller guy on him. Uh, yeah, that's a slightly different variation of the one I'm thinking but, exactly. Okay, yeah, uh, but I've, I mean, I've seen it all the same ways. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and so basically what I'm not seeing a lot of of weak side flare screens. I'm not seeing, you know, any loop plays. I think we should run a lot more loop. Um, so, for example, for that, like to get Kyrie involved, you see occasionally them do it for JR to get some shots. So basically right. a loop is like if you, you have a wing at the top, uh, like a, usually you want to have a good shooter at the top of the of the floor and then the, you'll have like the Spurs run it with Tony Parker all the time. There's a lot of videos like detailing how they do it with him and, and Parker will run basically around the court and pick up three different screens. And if any time during that, that run he gets free, then he'll get hit with that shot. A lot of times what ends up happening is he'll go all the way around the floor to the opposite wing the pass from the top will get to that wing if the defense converges on Parker, either a, a quick pass right back to, to Green at the top or directly into a side pick and roll. Yeah. And that's how they get all those wonderful side pick and rolls, whether that it's from the loop or whether it's from motion weak or strong. And these things are not complicated, and they basically are just screening. Like just, you know, you're at the pickup game. Like you go pick up, you don't talk about plays. And a lot of motion principles and a lot of triangle principles are all in pickup games all the time, all over the you know the states in the world, and and for whatever reason the Cavs aren't utilizing those as much as they should. Right, yeah. and and the general and generally the screen setting, especially against Miami, has been pretty terrible. Um, not a lot of screens. Uh, part of that is uh, the last two nights, Mozgov not playing who is, you know, one of their better screen setters just because he's so big um, and he rolls well. Uh, he doesn't always catch and finish well, but he does roll well. Um, yeah. And that sucks in the defense and creates shot for, shots for Kyrie. And uh, he doesn't pick up offensive fouls very, very often uh, for setting bad screens. And, of course, as, as you and I have talked about, losing Andy was a... Uh, detriment to the Cavs' screen game, and and Kevin Love seems a little averse to setting screens of late. Uh, Tristan Thompson, not a bad screener, but he doesn't. They don't use him unless they're running that two-man game with Delhi, and a lot of times they just wave Tristan off. Uh, Kyrie yeah. or LeBron will just wave Tristan off. So I mean, the the Cavs have a problem, you know directing offense and kind of like you said getting into intelligent sets um and i wanted to talk a little bit about mozgov uh did you think it was a mistake uh to not play him tonight very much until garbage time yeah i think the whole season has been a mistake with mozgov 
I think Mazgov proved himself to be a very important piece in the playoffs and during the whole second half of last season. The guy was obviously injured in the beginning of the season. And if you either going to play him and play him small minutes and make it clear that he's coming back from an injury or you don't play him. But the second that you play him, he's your starting center and he is necessary to have a chance at winning the title. And I don't care about the Warriors and all, all this stuff. He played well against the Warriors. He was not the reason why the Cavs lost against the Warriors last year. And whether he's going to get huge minutes against them all the time, that's, you know, it's another question. But to have a guy as talented as Mazgov, who is basically been, especially since Blatt, who was obviously a supporter of his, has been gone, he's, I feel like he's on an island. And we've gone from having, you know, Mazgov eating and doing commercials and having the funniest commercials ever and everybody loving the guy and LeBron talking about him being the best, like, pure center that he's worked with, all apologies to Z, even wherever LeBron's words were, to everybody at every moment throwing their hands up in disgust when the guy does anything wrong. And I understand that it is frustrating, and I every like everybody else, I yell at the TV when he drops another pass. But maybe he'd stop dropping the passes if he got regular minutes, regular rotation, and everybody actually gave him any kind of positive reinforcement from oh, any I, direction. Well, and the other thing is, I I don't understand. I think in a way the Cavs have gotten a little bit spoiled with how well he played last year offensively. But in a perfect world, Timofey Mozgov is not on the floor for offense. Timofey Mozgov is on the floor to be a last line of defense uh, for your team, especially in the half court. Uh, and to, you know, rebound, block shots, and set screens on offense. And yes, it's great that he can. Last year he was finishing so well around the rim. Um, yes, it's great that. Uh, you know, he was catching the lobs, hitting the outside jump shot, and this year his hands have fallen way off. But to just destroy his confidence and leave uh, the team in a situation where they're getting less from him than they would if they just stuck to giving him 12, 15 minutes a night in the starter role, it does a disservice to him. And I, I also noted that I thought it was just ridiculous that he was starting until an hour and a half before the game and then he wasn't starting uh, and they decided to go small with Shumpert and you and I talked about and I wrote a lot about you don't jerk around with the minutes for a guy who's having a confidence problem you know I would say the the only the only appropriate response or at least a, a decent reason why one could say that is be like hey for whatever reason Miami likes to bring Whiteside off the bench yeah no I and agree with you so and if it's so one of those things where like the bench to counter white yeah exactly hey Tim that you is, know that hey Mozzie perfectly defensible right and when I saw that Whiteside came into the game and Mozgov didn't come into the game I threw my hands up in the air and was like what what are we doing what is and, and, what's happening and Whiteside owned them like, of course they had no counter it was yeah it was uh, not good. Uh, and so now so we're going to get to a question. That you and I, oh, sorry. So you and I talked about this a little bit before the podcast. 
Uh, do you think Ty Lue's in over his head? I mean, okay, let, let me rephrase this because that's a also guess to whatever it is. phrasing of the question. Um, Ty Lue, um, what are your impressions of how he has been coaching uh, both in the last week and since he's taken over for David David Blatt? Uh, well, what a, okay, when discussing our discussion points for this pod, I think I wrote literally Lou is officially awful. Uh, I'm okay saying that. I have no, I mean, I'm, I think he's awful. I don't know if he's, he's Byron Scott awful because it's impossible to know that because he's taking over a team coached by one of the greatest coaches in recent history in the world. So who knows how much he's keeping or getting rid of? I, it's hard to know. Um, but in terms of... You're, you're talking about LeBron James or David Blatt? <laughs> I'm talking about Blatt as far oh, as Oh, okay. The, I had the, to clarify that. Because they're both like, two of the greatest coaches of all time. Yeah, well, not, one just has a beautiful mind. We don't know. Why would you limit him just to coaching? I mean, it's just like physicists, you know, everything. Um, the... So, I mean, as far as purely X and O's, it's really hard to judge to judge Lou for that. But what we can judge him on is the way he seems to lead the guys, the way he handles in-game adjustments, even if it is how is he talking with his assistants and getting which information from his assistants or from his players, because it's always a collaboration, and that's fine. But he has to be the coordinator of that collaboration, at least a, a secondary coordinator if LeBron's going to be the head guy. LeBron can't see everything when he's on the floor. And so, I mean, no matter how we want to break it down, he has to be a leader. And I'm not in the locker room. I can't even pretend to know what goes on in there. So I think, you know, a lot of people fall into the trap of pretending that they know anything about teams unless they're in the locker room. But when you see guys on the, on the sidelines and you see guys in the huddles and you see the minute distributions and you see the constant fluctuation on a day-to-day basis of player roles and attitude and comments and everything. There's no party line at all. And if there's anything we can learn from, from the, the best teams in, in any league is that they have a certain standard that they stick to. And sometimes that standard is flexibility, whether it's Belichick or Popovich, their, their standard is we have a certain way of doing things, but we're also flexible. But we are open with that flexibility. We're not blindsiding guys with, with new roles or just not talking about it. With all this communication. Yeah, no no so. one has ever accused Popovich of being a poor communicator. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what are you, what are you on, on Lou now at this point? Are you, um, I'm, are, I'm, baffled. I'm baffled. I'm baffled at the way this team kind of seems to make decisions consistently at the last minute. Uh, yeah. You know why you decide an hour and a half before the game you're sitting Moskov. Um, why you don't pencil in the Jazz game to just sit a bunch of guys? Uh, you know because they went Monday they went to the Jazz after the end of a five game six game road trip five game road trip and yeah. it had sandwich game written all over it after a big big Piston or Clippers win. And the end of a road trip, you got the elevation in Salt Lake City. They'd played the night before on a national TV game, put the thump on the Clippers. If there is ever a time to look at your schedule and go, 
you know, this is a night we're going to give a lot of guys rest, and we're going to see if uh, a guy like McCray can come in and give us anything, or we're going to see if Sasha Khan can Khan can give us anything uh, going into yeah. uh, the playoffs. And we're not conceding this game, but if we lose it, we're, we're okay with that. Well, he didn't do that. He played LeBron James in uh, – uh, his starters extended minutes, and they lost the game eighty-five, ninety-four, and kind of never were really years, in it. Montrose Auto Group is, and um, and it just it's it's kind of baffling. And then you see the same thing with uh, the Orlando game, or uh, yeah, the Orlando game. Uh, you kind of don't know who's playing. We don't know why Mozgov didn't get any minutes. Uh, is there communication going on there? We don't know. Obviously, it wasn't communicated to the media before the game that he wasn't going to be playing. So was it's it just, it's, the Dallas game was the one that he didn't get any minutes, right? Uh, I thought it was the Magic game. Nah, he had. I mean, yeah, see now, it's yeah, he, he had 13 minutes against the Magic, but he didn't oh, play I'm against sorry. the Mavs. He didn't play against uh, the Mavs. My apologies. Yeah. So it just kind of you, the communication coming from the team is not great and not consistent um he seems to display almost no emotion on the court and no passion on the court and that bothers me a little because even lou or i'm sorry even david blatt who was very kind of atypical of the way that he coached in europe um in terms of you know controlling his emotion and not really going after it with the refs or with his own team even Blatt had his emotional moments, and he was clapping and encouraging guys. Luce seems kind of like a wallflower out there. Uh, in his high chair. Yeah, in his head coat, in his throne. So yeah. I, and I'm always, I wrote this today, but I'm a firm believer that teams adopt the personality of their head coach. Um, unless they have unbelievably strong leaders on the court, and then they can kind of adopt those guys' personalities. Uh, I would say the 80s Celtics were kind of a an example of that. And, uh, you know, you had Phil Jackson with the Bulls, uh, who, who, you know, the the poles of power with that team were Phil Jackson and, and Michael Jordan. But I don't feel like the Cavs have any strong personalities that are great communicators on that team, uh, including Ty Lue, who might be a great ear, but there's a very big difference between a – assistant coach that can be a great sounding board for players and a head coach that needs to you know dictate the direction of the team be a clear communicator not just a clear listener um, Amen. Yeah. and and that's very problematic for me for tyloo plus the in-game adjustments uh i've seen some terrible decisions from him um what was the game where they he called a timeout that i just thought was awful Oh, the Grizzlies game. The Grizzlies game, they were up, and they were against a team that was gassed and shorthanded. And for some inexplicable reason, he called a timeout and let the other team get a rest. Which is like, to me, why in God's name would you ever do that? When you're up three, and you've got a team that dressed eight guys you're playing against, why would you call them a, a timeout and let them regroup? And and we've, we've castigated Lou for, you know, not calling timeout at time uh, but when you have momentum you don't call timeout you make the other team call yeah. timeout 
and, and it's just he just seems to mismanage games consistently and like you said the rotations are bad they don't run sets he seems to have no control over the team less control than Blatt did uh, yeah, and, and, I, am I missing anything here uh, I don't know he I don't like how he dresses. No, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's... And, and I, I, I am not... Tr- and I also despise the decision to bring in Mike Longobardi. I, I don't think that has been a successful move, and the Cavs should fire him and find someone else. <laughs> was, he there, was he there when Griffin was there in, in Phoenix? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. No, okay. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I, just I, strengthening his his group of people that like him from Griffin or yeah uh Blake Griffin or David Griffin uh has also been problematic to me but uh what uh, my thought on David Griffin is he made a colossal mistake um firing David Blatt and we're kind of still uh dealing with the consequences of it uh no uh Longobardi was an assistant under Doc Rivers uh, and that's where he worked with Ty Lue, um, uh with the Celtics, and then, uh, and then he was with the Suns uh, for two seasons. So did he? Okay, was he an assistant then when with Tibbs was still there, or did he join after uh, Tibbs yeah, left? Yeah, he was there for six seasons, and he was probably there while Tibbs was there. So okay, well, it gives him a little bit of credit. It, it does, but my question is, why didn't they just go? You know, throw a million dollars tips away. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's that, that he's such a strong voice that he would immediately take over as well. He should. I mean, I, that I don't think. See, see, here's the thing. I've listened to a lot of interviews with Tom Thibodeau, and he very good. much respects the profession of coaching. And I really feel like he's a guy that can. You know, I I don't know if you've done much coaching, and I've only done coaching of, uh, you know, fifth and sixth grade girls. But when you're the head coach, you be the head coach, and when you're the assistant coach, you let the head coach be the head coach. I don't yeah. think Tom Thibodeau would be a guy that would have any problem with that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think certainly he'd have a problem with that either. But I think it's a lot easier when the head coach has the kind of charisma of somebody like Doc Rivers. I mean, Doc Rivers may not be a great X and O guy, but he's got a lot of charisma. Yeah. And and for a guy like Tibbs, who, for all accounts, is kind of just a dorky basketball savant, yeah. um, with the voice of a almost a basketball burnout, like a basketball workaholic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with one of the coolest voices ever. I love his voice. <laughs> Cracks me up. Um, I, with a guy like Ty, I mean, think put him next to Ty Lu. I mean, Ty Lu looks like a 12 year old. And yeah. just like, I, I'd have trouble as a player looking at, at LeBron, Tibbs, and Lu, and not immediately being like, just quiet superstar talent without the IQ you think you have. Quiet role player, you know little boy, I want to listen to the coach now. And like there are certain guys who have that kind of real just gravitas or whatever. Yeah, no, I'll agree with you. You know, with you know, with Doc, I can understand that like I don't think Doc is a great coach as they get the rep, but I mean the dude has he's definitely a leader of men in whatever way that, you know, you need to be for you Yeah, know. and there there's certain guys that can't deal with that. You know, you had uh 
Lawrence Frank and, and Jason Kidd, that situation. You had, yeah. uh, you know, the insanely jealous Mark Jackson in uh, Golden State who couldn't deal with uh, his assistant coaches giving interviews. So, yeah, the, and Ty Lue already has that going on a little bit with, uh, is it Larry Drew? And, uh, yeah, and Boyle. And Boyle, who, who are both, you know, statesmen as, as NBA coaches. So to put a third guy in that situation <laughs> might be a little intimidating for him. So I don't know. Uh, but my opinion on Mike Longobardi is the Cavs' defense has been terrible as long as he's been in there. And he needs to go. And Lou needs to start kicking some butt. But I don't think he's going to do it. Quite specifically, there are just like two issues. I mean, it's like LeBron has to be the leader, so then Kyrie will work as hard on the defensive end. And more importantly, honestly, Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson need to understand whose responsibility is whose on the big man rotations. Yeah, They don't know what they're doing. And so when and, they play together... And LeBron and Kyrie need, to get, Kyrie need to get everybody involved with the offense. Yeah. I mean, the fact that... Uh, uh, J.R. Smith had two shots that game. Was ridiculous with as well as he's playing. Yeah. Uh, or or Kevin Love had had six shots or seven shots. I mean, it was just it's mind boggling. And and Delhi shot the ball a lot, but a lot of that was in garbage time. And Delhi, admittedly, did not have a great game. But Delhi's had a Delhi's had a, a little bit of a rough two weeks or so, to be honest. Yeah. But the other thing about Delhi is. Delhi's the guy that plays the best with LeBron when he plays with high uses players and he can play that he can use his ability to catch and shoot and be a secondary ball handler. That's when Delhi's at his best. Yeah. In the NBA. I mean, he's a good enough ball handler and point guard that he could go play in other leagues and dominate, but in the NBA, that's his best role. Yeah, but I don't even mind having him high, high usage as long as those other guys are on the floor with yeah. him to suck away some of the attention. So, right. you know, when he's when he has the ball as the primary handler, but it's with LeBron on the floor, then it's the same, you know, same result. Things are good because they have to pay attention to to LeBron. I think there's a, another thing. I think people just don't understand how big and good Whiteside is on defense. Okay. And there were there were many times where Delhi He's like, cool, all right, I got either my shot off the glass or I got my alley-oop, and Whiteside was like, nah, you don't, sorry, buddy. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's just such an incredible range. No, he, uh, was, he was phenomenal that game, and if he can keep his emotions under the control in the playoffs, uh, he's going to get paid a lot of money. Uh, oh, he's a max guy. There's no chance, there's no chance he's anything but and, a max and, guy. And it's a little bit, it's not a little bit unprecedented, it's very unprecedented. He's coming come in from being a street free agent a year and a half ago to being a maximum contract NBA player I I can you ever remember any time in the history of the league that happening I mean it, it's no. the plot of blue chips <laughs> I mean that's, yeah, it's unbelievable it's and, crazy especially with his YMCA story or like where he was or whatever it was yeah, yeah. and it makes me just I mean, and I said this uh, in my recap, but the way that the Heat have assembled that team with a first-round pick and a 40th pick of the NBA draft, I think what was uh, 
What was Justice Winslow? He was like a number 12 pick? Uh, he was nine, maybe? Yeah, that was uh, it. That was tenth, it. tenth, actually. Tenth. Yeah. A 10th pick and a 40th pick and nothing else. They've got two all-stars in Hassan Whiteside and Joe Johnson. They've got a guy who's shooting 60% from three, and they've got uh, a burgeoning defensive stud in Justice Winslow, and when his offense comes around, he's going to be ridiculous. Um, You know, he just has to be an offensive player to be a great player with as good as his defense can be. And and the thing is that with how good Whiteside, I mean, this is an example of, of you can have flexible combo forwards if you have a rim protector who's a legitimate rim protector. Yeah. And Whiteside is so good in the middle that it doesn't matter that Dang isn't a really, you know, a true power forward, and they don't really play another true power forward since Bosch has been out. Yeah, but they don't need to against most of the NBA because most of the NBA doesn't post up their power forward anymore. Yeah, and if they do, when you have Whiteside lingering behind, fine, post away. I mean, well, yeah, post away and switch everything in the pick and roll. (laughs) Switch everything. I mean, they've kind of adopted the not kind of they've adopted the Golden State mantra: switch everything. So yeah, yeah, it's it. I do not want to see the Cavs play them in the playoffs. Right now, I think they would beat the Cavs because Dwayne is. Dwayne Wade yeah. is healthy. They're playing a spread offense. Um, Joe Johnson and Luol Deng can go off for 20-plus points any given night right now. They've got Goran Dragic, who can drive that engine, doesn't need to be a great three-point shooter because he's got so many on that team. And then you've got possibly the best defensive center in the league right now, uh, Hassan Whiteside, behind them. I mean, is there anybody better right now? It's hard to say, man. I mean, I still, I still think the Raptors are. Uh, yeah, with Bismack and. Yeah, I mean, if if they play, if they play Corey Joseph. No, and no, Bismack, and, I, and I'm not talking about the Raptors as a team. I I don't want to play the Raptors either. <laughs> I don't want to play either. But if, if the Cavs, if the Cavs have to go through the Heat and the Raptors in successive rounds, and I think the way that it's, it's very likely that that's going to play out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really, really rough because, you know. If Mozgov, that's that's another reason why they they, they kept Mozgov, and the reason right. why they need to play him, they need to have him feeling good about himself, and they need to feel good about him going into the playoffs because they're going to need him against both of those teams, and you know, and if they make it against the Spurs, they're going to need him against the Spurs if the Spurs get through the Warriors. What we, and, what we really, really, really need to see is the Heat catch the Hawks and get yeah. to that third spot. Um, of course, there's no guarantee right now that the Cavs maintain the number one spot. So it's a, it's a precarious grip. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, looking at the NBA standings, we've got uh, the Cavs at number one, uh, Raptors two, Hawks three, Heat four, Celtics five, and Hornets six. And then we've got about four teams vying for those last two spots between the Pacers, Bulls. Pistons and Wizards. Uh, who do you think the Cavs end up playing in the first round? Uh, there, Ben. You think? You think the Bulls I are think gonna hold gonna, on to that? No, I don't think the Bulls are going to hold on. But I think that for whatever reason, and this is there's really no basis in this. I feel like they're destined to play the Pacers. 
whether it is because they're number one and the Pacers are, are the eighth or whether they're two and then the Pacers are the seven. I just feel like the Pacers are going to be the matchup. And again, there's no real reason for that other than I don't want to play the Pacers. <laughs> um, yeah. And if, especially, I mean, if think about uh, Pacers with Paul George and that the, the way that lineup works and then the way that it theoretically could work out with the Hawks and the Heat, and that's, that's not good. Right. Um, so I think I don't think the Bulls hold on. I don't think they're just good enough. They're just they have a negative point differential. They've been bad for most of the last three months. I've never been a big fan of their talent collection. Anyway, they don't fit together. And I think Horberg's not a great coach. I think I think the Pistons squeeze in. I I don't think Horberg's a bad coach. I just feel as if he hasn't been given a chance to grow into that role. And yeah, he'll have a chance when he gets rid of the guys who are Tibbs guys. Yeah, well, the other thing is uh, he never assisted at the NBA level, and I think a year of that would have been very helpful for him. Um, and I don't think they've surrounded him with real strong assistants uh, the way that you saw a guy like Kerr had uh, had Ron Adams and uh, Alvin Gentry. Yeah. And, you know... He was a rookie head coach who'd never been an assistant, but they've he he was a front office guy, and Hoiberg was a front office guy for Minnesota for a while, and he was a head coach at the college level. But it's very 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 different. So, and he's he's buddies buddies with all those people on the on the, in the yeah. ownership and the head people there. Yeah. I think I, I, he has a lot of the same problems that that Lou had though in terms of. I don't see a lot of leadership there in the same way. I don't think he's bad as Lou with that, but the, yeah. his minute distributions and his lineup, like just don't, they don't make any sense. Uh, whether it was, you know, going with Miritich as a starter or sitting, sitting Noah, the way that he's dealt with, with Gasol and those, the front court minutes with Gibson. I mean, those are, I think he did exactly the opposite way that he should have. And he also needed to make it more clear. And then that whole organization needs to make it more clear to get rid of Derrick Rose. I mean, that's never going to work with Derrick Rose. No. But it's uh, they went from playing incredible defense to not playing incredible defense. And that, you know, is not just a testament to to Hoiberg's badness as much as it's just Thibodeau's greatness. But even last year, their defenses slipped because they're, yeah. they just don't have the same people in the same house. Well, and I think Thibodeau was a guy that burned his players out too I mean you look at the way their health has fallen off uh, since he's gone I mean and part of that's age but you know all the reports were that he was a workaholic and that uh, the team chafed under the very long practices and the very long hours that they had to put in and you could see it in the playoffs they did kind of tend to wear down in the playoffs so And, and that's a fine line to walk I I think many many nba teams right now and the way the league is scheduled burn their players out i think guys don't get enough sleep uh and there's been plenty of science to say when people don't get enough sleep they don't perform at their best uh mentally and physically and they're more injury prone um so you know the nba has not done a good job and then you see a lot of these teams are like that as well so it, it is a really fine line to walk um so who do you got though? Do you got the Pistons or the Wizards, or, or do you think? I I I think it's going to be the Pistons, uh, just because I think Stan Van Gundy is a very good coach, 
and he'll find a way to get them in. Uh, like you said, I'm not sold on the, the Bulls. Uh, the Wizards have the talent to do it. If there's anybody that can do it, it's the Wizards. But John Wall's kind of got to play out of his mind, uh, which he's capable of doing. And Bradley Beal's got to stay healthy, which he hasn't shown he's capable of doing. Yeah. They, they have the depth. They have the talent. They just got to keep putting it together. And their inconsistent shooting is their biggest problem. Uh, they don't have enough shooters on that team to space the floor very well for a guy like John Wall. Um, yeah, especially because Porter seems to be so hit and miss. Sometimes exactly. Porter is exactly what he needs to be, and then other times you're like, okay. And they, and it's kind of funny because uh, Bradley Beal has never really become the shooter that everybody kind of thought he would be. Uh, he, he's actually become a a bit more of a slasher. Um but he's shooting near uh, near 40% this year. Um, so he, he's really picked it up, and if he can stay... But he can't seem to string five games together being healthy. So if he yeah. can continue to you know stay healthy... And they've won four straight, so... I, I the, still I think Morris, it's going to be the Pistons, though. I think they're the most talented. I think the, the Marquise Morris thing actually kind of worked out for the Wizards a little bit after they got settled into it. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I think the Pistons are better. I just think they have more talent, and I think that they. And have... I think they're better coached. Randy Whitman has, to me, been like, how is he still? He's been the how is he still coaching coach of the year for the last three years? <laughs> you know, I. Who stands um, a better coach than Rick Whitman? That's, that's shocking. What do you say? <laughs> Did you think that Stan is a better coach than Randy Whitman? I'm sorry. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, Whitman is hilarious. So I've got a question for you. If the Cavs, do you think they'd tank games to go down to the second to avoid playing the Heat in the second round? Uh, No. You don't think that would happen? I... I don't know if the Heat are going to... I think the Heat are going to pass the Hawks eventually. Okay. I, think, I don't think it'll end up working out that way because I think the Heat will finish in the three seed. Mm-hmm. But the is, Hawks, is are playing, Hawks are playing really well, too. The Hawks are playing really well, but we all know how well that's nice. For, I mean, who cares? Like, well, you know, I think Schroeder, Schroeder does a good job and... The the fact that you know Horford is really seems to be playing healthy again and well, and, and Paul, Paul Millsap remains the NBA's most underrated player. Yeah, I mean the guy he makes All Star games all the time now and he's still completely underrated. It is yeah. it is pretty. But more than anything, their defense their defense has been astoundingly good. Um, yeah. They've been so I think what I think they have the best net rating or something over the last ten games or something by all these podcasts are talking about that recently. Yeah, well, um, I mean, Paul Millsap one point five blocks per game on the year, which for a thirty one year old player who's never been known as a shot blocker, that's really an impressive to develop that part of your game, and a guy who's well, only six eight. Was it? I don't look at his career stats, but doesn't he? Hasn't he always been kind of one of those uh, one, one and a half, one and a half guys that, mm. with steals and and blocks? I, I I don't think that he has. No, I mean this is no. far and away. Uh, in thirteen fourteen, he had one point. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, in thir- thirteen fourteen, he had one point one. In oh nine oh ten, he had one point two. But 
He's always been about a block a game, but he's really pushed it up this year to one one and a half blocks a game, uh, while his minutes have, have stayed at the same level. Uh, it, it, okay. It's impressive. Uh, yeah, but no, their defense has been great, crazy yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, he's a very good defensive. He is a guy that gets the most out of his abilities for his size. Uh, you know, not super long wingspan, uh, but just very heady, quick hands. Uh, very good player. I I think the Cavs match up best with the Hawks, but none of those three teams is going to be an easy out. The Hawks, the Raptors, uh, or the Heat. I disagree with the Hawks. I don't think we necessarily we'd see a sweep again like last year, but I think they kill them. I think I, I think you the Cavs think it's a, a big big matchup positive for the game. Yeah, they just have they just have too much pro- I don't think well, Bazemore is... Well, the other is, thing is, they have nobody sorry. that can counter LeBron. Yeah, I mean, that, they, they don't the have Eric Carroll anymore. Cephalosha uh, is, um, you know, he'll theoretically be healthy, and he's played well, right? Because he's healthy right now, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that, that helps, but... No, the, yeah, I'll agree with you, Miami and Toronto scare me a lot more. Yeah, I mean, they just they have that that one big four other guys who are switching well, everything. Here's the other thing about both those teams: they both have a major part of their team that is yet to come back. Miami yeah. has Chris Bosh. I mean, can you imagine what we saw last night with Stoudemire, but with Chris Bosh, a healthy Chris Bosh, that is a much scarier team. You know, Stoudemire is a player, th- but he can only give you about 15 minutes a night at the most. But to be perfectly honest, I think that kind of helps them because it forces their hand on Whiteside. Yeah, I, I think Whiteside is a better he's a better player for what they're trying to do and the other pieces around them than Bosch is right now. Not that I think that he's a better player than Bosch in a vacuum, but with that lineup and what they have around, and you know, the Joe Johnson pickup was really good. It was yeah. just really. Yeah, and, and he, he has, has a lot left in the tank. He's kind of transformed his game this year into being a catch-and-shoot guy. Catch-and-shoot guy. He's always had that, that feathery mid-stuff when he really needs – when they need to go through him, he can go, go they can go through him. Um, he can play point forward. Yeah, and they can slide him in basically to the LeBron role that they, yeah. they lost. So yeah. it's it's not – it's not a walkover. I still think the Cavs are better than those teams, but it's not going to be. But they can't play like they played tonight or last night. <sighs> no, but I just don't think it's not. It's you don't not think possible. that can happen on the course of a seven-game series? In the playoffs, I just don't think LeBron plays defense like that ever. You know what I mean? No, so I, it's, I agree with you. But it's it's uh, the only thing you know. Is, it's, it's very frustrating in the regular season to watch it as a fan. Um, yeah. especially against these teams that you feel like Le- they should want to beat and make statements against. But on the other side of that, you know, LeBron has shown the ability to turn it on in the playoffs. And uh, there have been guys like that throughout the history of the league that have been guys who've been ho-hum regular season players and then just gangbusters in the playoffs. You've got, you know, Boris Diaz is a guy like that. Robert Ory is a guy like that. You've got Steve, Steve Kerr was a guy like that. Um, <laughs> no, he was. I mean, yeah. he was a guy that hit humongous shots in the playoffs. <laughs> and there, uh, did the Cavs have a guy like that? I feel like J.R. Smith can be a guy like that um, 
for them. And, and Kyrie Irving, there's still nobody in the Eastern Conference that can guard him when he's not turning the ball over. So, Yeah. And I've been happy to see they've done more Kyrie pick and roll with LeBron or letting him ISO. Yeah. Which I think is a good choice. Like, one of those two things except, works out well. Except when he dribbles to the corner. That drives me nuts. <laughs> Does that drive you yeah. nuts, Ben? <laughs> yeah, it drives me nuts. But when he dribbles to the corner, what they need to do is they need to run the hammer play. I mean, okay. that's kind of the thing. So explain so the hammer play. So I think that's the right name for it. I always forget whether that's the hammer. The, the, yeah, the blind pig, whatever's the back. Yeah, it's the hammer. <laughs> so... What Not happens, the blind pig, the hammer. <laughs> seriously. But when, so if you dribble to that corner, if you get a back screen along the baseline for your opposite corner three, a lot of times that cross-court pass really directly under the hoop is open from baseline to baseline. Okay. And the way that he dribbles into the corner is kind of like, you know, zigzagging 100 times, and it doesn't really provide a lot of... Uh, you know, easy movement and and uh, his angle is probably not as good when he gets to that corner. But if he could speed up, you know, just being in the corner isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as the action and the geometry of the floor, if you're getting that wing triple behind you and then also a baseline, a weak side baseline screen that frees open the opposite corner three ball which is how a lot of times Kawhi Leonard gets threes off of, of uh, the hammer from, from Parker. Um, but when he does it just for fun and not because it's actually like... And, and you know, into double teams with, with yeah, no not, kind of thought in his head of how of who's open, that's when it's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, the best, not the best strategy. Yeah. No. <laughs> so uh, uh, just for our listeners, I'm, I'm going to link to the hammer play. Uh, SB Nation has a really good explanation of uh, the way the Spurs run the hammer play, so uh, we're nice. linked to that in the po- in the uh, in the uh, text of this podcast. So um, anyway, I so kind of moving on. We've got uh, so we were just talking about the Spurs, and uh, you know, in addition to the Cavs' week and kind of their rough showing in Miami, uh, we had one of the greatest, if not the greatest, regular season matchups uh, in NBA history. Third time they've played this year, I believe. Uh, Spurs and the Warriors were also Saturday night. And it was a really good game. And not the game that we thought we would get. It, it was a defensive battle. And the cat, the Spurs um, did a phenomenal job of s- shutting down Steph Curry. Uh, probably the best defense anybody's played on him all year. And the Spurs hung on and won that game and remain undefeated at home. Uh, what do you think of the game, Ben? I thought it was fantastic. And I think a lot of people will look at the numbers and immediately think, oh, well, Curry just had a bad shooting game, and, you know, that's kind of an aberration. No, it wasn't. The, the Spurs made that game, made those guys miss those shots. Um you know, some of the very the fourth quarter misses. Okay, fine. Like, I'm okay with that. And maybe he makes a couple more of his crazy shots. But best case scenario, I think in that with that defense that Curry was going against, he makes maybe three or four of twelve instead of seven of twelve, like he frequently does in these games against most of the league. And what they were doing, which was different than what they did in the first game that they they met, and what most of the the 
league just still doesn't quite understand is they were meeting him right across half court and they were they were kind of soft blitzing him once any kind of pick and roll action began depending on how high it was uh, they would play him straight up and then if there was a beginning of a pick and roll to develop they would kind of soft blitz and then blitz pretty hard and but the timing of it was always a little different and that's what I was really impressed by because a lot of times if you just completely go you know all out blitz um, on Curry that lets Draymond Green go crazy in the middle of the floor on yeah. that on that four on three opportunity but what they did in this game that, that was different also than the first time is they kept Leonard on Green for most of the night um, and they didn't have him guard Curry or, or Thompson and they let the other guys take care of it Green was on uh, Curry most of the time and Green did it just so, an amazing so Green job. was on Curry or yeah. Green yeah I'm sorry yeah, Green was- Kawhi, uh, Kawhi Leonard was on who so yeah, there's two different greens. Uh, right. So Danny Green, Danny Green was on Curry, and Leonard was on Draymond. Yeah, and then they would put uh, Parker or Mills on uh, on Clay for, for well for right. a lot of the time. They, yeah. Parker also had his plenty of minutes and plenty of possessions on Curry as well, and he did a great job as well. Um, yeah. So it wasn't in Mills too. It wasn't a strict, and, and, you know. Uh, it's, the Spurs game, did but, a great job of letting their guards know where the help was coming from all throughout yeah. the game. Uh, the communication was fantastic. I mean, you saw guys like Boris Diaw, who you would not think would be a great guy in space against Steph Curry, but he actually got block. He got a block on Curry out on the perimeter. You know, Diaw is amazing, and actually, it, oh, it's yeah. one of those things. I mean, it, it's he is just an incredible talent and he's fat and if he weren't fat people would be like that is a top player in the nba and just because he's fat we consistently underestimate his skill and and his talent level and he can't jump like he did when he was young i mean go to youtube and watch boris diao young videos and it's it's funny because it was a shame that it took him so long to get to the spurs and then he left the spurs and came back and on any other team, he might be wasted. He probably would be wasted because he was wasted in Atlanta. Uh, did he end up? Was he was in Toronto for a while, right? He had a really nice run with the Suns, and the Suns used oh, him pretty right. well. Yeah, the Suns did use him well. Yeah, that year, especially like he kind of he, he burst onto the scene the year that Stoudemire was out for an injury yeah. that first well, time. I remember there was a phenomenal playoff series between him and uh, AK forty seven. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. That was a great playoff series between him and Andre Kirilenko. Yeah, but but Diao is one of the most skilled guys in the league, and his quickness, like, people need to remember that he started off as a point guard. I mean, the guy, he, yes, he's chubby, but he, he does have quickness, and he knows how to play the angles against smaller guys because he had to play smaller guys. He grew up training with Tony Parker his whole life. I mean, he was guarding Tony Parker. Well, and yeah, his, so. his girth allows him to get shots off that other players that are thinner – wouldn't be able to get off. Hint, hint, Kevin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, and obviously uh, he had a lot of press when he surprisingly to a lot of people uh, guarded LeBron as well as he did in, yeah. in, in the finals. Um, but yeah, he can, he can guard anybody for stretches. 
literally yeah. anybody. No, there was guys. a time during his career when he could guard one through five. Yeah, um, but I think the thing that the thing that I was really just astounded and I mean not astounded because it's the Spurs and this is what they do, but just so impressed of their ability to consistently maintain the game plan. Right. They were going to going to allow Curry to be a driver, and that's okay. Like if he can finish over the help of the push ice man in the lane. So be it. And he did make some nice finishes. He had some nice lefty finishes, and he, had, he left some short, too. But he, they were consistently allowing that just to not allow catch-and-shoot threes from either Green's penetration off the four-and-three pick-and-roll or whether it's you know Curry himself getting off good shots. Yeah. I well, mean, the other thing they did a good job of was staying at home on Clay Thompson, too. Yeah. They just, uh, and, they were, and I wondered a little bit why the... Well, I thought the Warriors could have run some one-two pick and roll, and it would have helped to them, especially to get Clay Thompson the ball lower against the smaller defenders that the Spurs were putting on her, on him. And uh, Mark Jackson alluded to it a little bit, like, why aren't you going to Clay Thompson in the post? But that is not the way that the Warriors play offense, and you know we've seen it time and time again throughout the NBA when you get a big guard. Uh, it takes teams out of their offense to put that big guard in the post against a smaller guard, and if teams aren't used to doing it, it throws their whole offense out of rhythm. And and the Warriors clearly were not ready to go that route. Uh, Curry and Thompson really wanted to be perimeter players that game, and the Spurs just weren't letting it happen. Well, a lot of yeah, I mean, Clay did. I think he. I, can think of one very specific post up he had against Parker that was effective. Yeah, and there was another against Mills. Yeah, and you know he got twenty shots up. I mean, it wasn't like he wasn't shooting, but yeah. he he a lot of the times he's getting either those those wide open catch and shoot threes. I mean, wide open for NBA for for Warriors, but I mean it's the Warriors open shots are more open than a lot of shots because the defense is scrambling so much when we're not talking about crazy off the dribble stuff from Curry. Right. Um, and the Spurs just didn't allow that. I mean, they just did not allow catch-and-shoot opportunities in the same way that they're used to getting. Um, and it goes to, you know, there's an example like you put in your in your cap, like the difference between a last-minute substitution for the starting lineup with a first-ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best ever, Timmy Duncan, who is yanked out of the starting lineup for only the third time in his career. And it's totally fine because everybody knows what they're supposed to do and they've already established a culture so then they yeah, can do and, things. And, like and Tim Duncan has nothing he needs to prove. I don't think Tim Duncan's yeah. ego is going to be bruised by that. <laughs> yeah, and so you can make those moves when you have trust and everybody's a certain kind of person and you can't make those moves if you don't and you have to know how to do that. And and the thing is, you know, a lot of people too, you'll you'll say, okay, well, the you know, Warriors didn't shoot very well and, you know, if they, were, if they had they shot better, you know, the the Spurs didn't shoot well either. I mean, it was it was a brick fest in that first quarter because both yeah. teams were playing defense well, uh, and then they also missed some open shots. And a lot of times you miss open shots if you're getting so if you're you know working so hard on defense, executing the game plan, and also having a situation where you know you you haven't seen the ball go through the hoop a little bit because you've been contested so much. Maybe that open shot isn't as good uh, you know off the hand than it would be otherwise. But other than Manu. 
you know, the Spurs didn't get great shooting. I guess, you know, uh, Tony Parker made a couple threes too, which is good. Yeah. But they, you know, they made they were 41% from the field. They did make 38 from yeah. from behind the arc, so that's good, but only eight times. And, and but, something that should scare teams that are playing the Spurs is how well LaMarcus Aldridge played that game. And that closer shot that he had at the elbow uh, to yeah. basically seal the game, if LaMarcus Aldridge is draining shots in crunch time and getting his his own shots out of isolation in crunch time and beating other teams, that is going to be very hard to counter in the playoffs because that's yeah. the kind of shot that wins playoff games. Well, my, my favorite bucket from him actually was the one that it was kind of he, he, he crossed the face into the lane uh, got a really good position right in the right in the middle of the paint and bully balled Draymond Green for a little jump hook. Yeah, just just threw his shoulder in him. Green moved back and and you have to make Green feel small at times. I mean, it's just necessary. And Aldridge is a big player. The basically the the difference for me was their dedication to game plan and they straight hammered the Warriors on the glass. They yeah. just killed them. Yeah, and um, that has been. A phenomenal change for the for the Spurs, who before this year were consistently one of the league's worst rebounding teams. Yeah. Uh, for the last few years, and then getting Aldridge, and then Leonard coming into his own as a rebounder, uh, has really just shot up their rebounding. And one of the things you wanted to talk about uh, before the podcast was Kawhi Leonard MVP candidate. Is is yeah. he is he your MVP? If if they if they get anywhere close to seventy wins, like they probably will, he's my MVP. So if they, and, do you think they they have a chance to catch the Warriors? I don't think they have a chance to catch them. I think they still. I mean, I think they do still have two more games against them. So let's say they they're not going to beat both of them, but say say they were. That still leaves them. I mean, they're three games back in the loss column with, with uh, what thirteen to play. Um, I don't. I don't see how they can possibly catch them for the number one seed, but that still doesn't, you know, preclude them from making a run at seventy wins. Wow. And and the Spurs have a tough schedule. I mean, Hornets, Heat, Memphis, Thunder, New Orleans, Toronto, Jazz. Golden State, Nuggets, Golden State, Thunder, Mavericks. Those are all, outside of New Orleans, playoff teams or borderline, or teams fighting for a playoff spot. And outside, yeah. of, New or- outside of the Nuggets and the Pelicans. I mean, that that's yeah. a tough schedule. But they do play the Warriors twice, and both those games are going to be fantastic. Uh, the Pelicans the Pelicans actually seem to frequently be difficult for the Spurs. They have trouble with Anthony Davis. Yeah, and... Although the Pelicans, that team's a mess right now. So yeah, that's sad. That's sad. It is sad, and oh. and injuries have been a lot of that. Uh, and then just their complete and other mishandling of Ish Smith, which yes. still boggles my mind how stupid that was. But um, it's 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 rough. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was one of the only people that I wasn't. I know that they've had injuries, but I'm not a big Alvin Gentry fan. And no, I think he's a terrible head coach, and I've always and yeah, I thought and, actually that uh, oh, who was their coach last year? His his wife just died. Monty Williams. Monty Williams uh, 
did a phenomenal job with them last year. And them letting him go was really, I thought, a very, very poor decision. But I've said that before on this podcast. Yeah, it just out that they don't that I you know with a minute manager for Tibbs, I would really like to see Tibbs coach D- Davis and see what he could get on that defense. But now, now my dream for Tibbs is to go to Minnesota. I hope that works out for for everybody involved. My my, um, my dream for Tibbs is for him to come to the Cavs next year. So. <laughs> If that were a possibility, that'd be great. That'd be great. My my giant fear is that if uh, Ty Lue is not here next year, we're going to get Mark Jackson, who... I I don't know if I can do it, man. I just don't know if I can... Delhi walks in free agency, and they get Mark Jackson to coach this team. I'm going to have a really hard time. It's just, I'm, man, I can't watch such bad basketball for guys that do dumb things on the floor all the time. It's just, yeah. it's rough. Yeah. I can do it when it's a developing team and they're making mistakes because they're young. Fine. Yeah. Like, but if they're, jeez, oh, man. Mark Jackson's off. He's just awful. Like, yeah, he is mama not a person that North I want to report. If you read about yeah. everything that went on when he was in Golden State, it's almost as if he developed Clay Thompson, or Clay Thompson and Steph Curry developed despite him <laughs> at times. Yeah. Uh, of how just egocentric and just manipulative and petty he was behind the scenes. Uh, thing about it is that I have so much respect for the Van Gundys, and, you know, he's boys with Van Gundy, especially, you know, with, right. with Jeff. And I just don't. I'm surprised. And, you know, whatever. We all have friends that do things that we shouldn't be held accountable because they're another human being. And, it's, you know, right. just because we're buddies doesn't mean, you know, at Actually, the same time. Well, here's the other thing. I think Mark Jackson is a much – I think he's fantastic in the booth as a foil to Van Gunn. Not fantastic, but he has honed a shtick, and he makes insightful comments at times. But And he and Van Gundy have a shtick. He, is, he can be entertaining. Um, as long as he doesn't do that, there goes my that that man thing. Like seriously, oh, yeah. that that is one of the most annoying things that I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, but, I want to ask you: Did you see the Anderson Varejao left-handed whip pass? Yes, I did, and it, awesome. happy, it, it made me happy. Happy that I'm happy that that you know JV JVG or whatever gave him some love for it. Um, it's now that being said, he was minus twelve in six minutes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, whatever. Like, it's uh, it was not his game. If there's a game that you know Duncan barely plays, you're not going to have Barajal play much either. You know. Right. right. Um, so, uh, anyway, I'm sorry. So the original question was Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, my opinion yeah. right now is he is the number two player in the league, behind behind Steph Curry. Yeah. And and he is the most complete player in the league. Uh, he has turned himself into a superstar on both sides of the ball. I mean, people don't realize how good of an offensive player he is right now. No, uh, no. The guy on any other team could be getting 28 points a night. He doesn't need to get 28 points a night, and he saves that energy for defense. This is a cell tower from one of those major... Sorry, he's happy with 21. 
you know. Yeah. You know what's funny about him, too, or like the way that people look at him is they look at him as a defensive first player, which is fine. But if you're going to look at the guy as a defensive first player, you have to be totally all in on the fact that he is the greatest defensive player in the league. Like, yeah. he's not well, just kind of good. That, like, he's, he is one of the league's premier catch-and-shoot players right now. He's shooting yeah. 47% from three and making two a it, game. It's silly. Yeah. It, it's silly. He's almost 90% and, from line. Yeah. It, he is, he has eclipsed LeBron James and no one wants to admit it. I mean, I mean, it's, and the argument is that LeBron doesn't get his, or Kawhi, Kawhi doesn't get his own shot. If you watch him play, he can get his own shot anytime he wants. Uh, he can go into the post and get a shot anytime he wants. But he doesn't take stupid shots, and that's and he doesn't have the gaudy assist numbers, and that is why he only scores twenty one points a game, and he's not considered better than LeBron. But yeah. he's better than LeBron right now. He's making he's getting twenty one points on fifteen shots a game. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, he had a finish. He had a finish against Portland the other night where he, he drove baseline into this weird spin, and I don't know how he threw the ball over his head, and it was, like, perfectly off glass. Yeah. And I, at first I was like, wow, that looked like lucky, and then I they showed the replay. I'm like, no, that was just a really good finish from a really good player. And you does not do something be- that'll make you sick? Yeah. He's 24 years old. Oh, man. He's going to be the best player in the league. He has, he has a chance to be one of the top three or four players in the league for the next six years. Yeah. The, the Spurs are amazing. The way they develop talent and the way they identify guys and put them into a system and develop them. I mean, the other guy that just makes me mad every time I watch him is how the hell did the Spurs get Kyle Anderson? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's not even fair. Last pick of the draft. The guy was all over every analytics sheet as one of just the most versatile players can play four positions in the NBA players and, and yet he lasts till the 30th pick because he can't jump out of a gym yeah I mean come on Nate he can't jump high he doesn't look cool yeah it, like it, it let's, let's be mind. honest this is this is what it comes down to it doesn't look cool when Kyrie when Kyrie Jesus Kawhi Leonard makes his moves and does the things that he does they are not flashy. He just doesn't look cool. Wow. And other some guys, when they dunk, do stuff, some of those dunks are pretty damn flashy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he does his little Dr. J type stuff, like yeah. he has his moments, but he's he's fluid, or he is kind of economical in his in most of his movements. But he doesn't have yeah. the and one mixtape. I'm gonna go ISO no. and dribble all over you and then score. Yeah, like I don't know. I can't think of a time where I've seen him look at a mismatch, back out take a couple dribbles to, like, see where people are and then go at them. Like, if he yeah. if he turns the faces, he goes right away. Like, he just yeah. goes right away. Or he moves the uh, ball and moves. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I guess my reason for saying that, that I'd take him as MVP is because I just want the conversation to get a little closer. And, you know, you hear these yeah. these pods, like guy like Waz on the – he does the True Hoops uh, podcast a lot. Um, and he is just like laughing at that it's even a, com- a comparison between Leonard and, and Curry. And the, the normal thing is like, oh, well, okay, we're, no, we're not saying necessarily he's number one. It's just that it's a, it's a strong case to be made. Like, why, why are we not 
more willing to place defensive players in the top of our minds. And I just, I can't, I have to at least fight the good fight, even if I'm maybe going a little bit against what I completely think. But I honestly think if you, the way that Curry affects the game is insane and revolutionary and et cetera, et cetera. But But so is the why. Yeah. So. And, and it is not as if, the Golden State Warriors are head and shoulders for 33 above years. the Spurs right now. Uh, they're one and one in heads-up matches. They're three games ahead. The Spurs and, and are also having a historic season. Uh, it, any yeah, the Spurs year, are. Any other years, we would be talking about how amazing the Spurs are. Yeah, you know the Spurs. The Spurs advanced stats as far as their net rating and as their point differential. They are having the better season. Yeah, they have one of the uh, historically good defenses, um, and we we saw that against the Warriors. So I, I think I think it's good. That but this this matchup, if we don't mind, I, it brings up another issue that is driving me crazy right now. This conversation about offenses and what offenses work in today's NBA and. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote our, today's NBA. Yeah, uh, this this backlash about the triangle in in terms of Phil Jackson's possibility of coaching half the league or half the games next year, and you know I think that's silly. And Kurt Rambis is certainly not a great coach. Uh, he's had a really hard time with minutes and and lineups throughout his career. I mean, look at Kevin Love's minutes early in his career. And, when, and, and what was the one that happened last week that everybody was face-palming over was Kristaps uh, Porzingis' small forward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to play him, like, why would you do that? That's exactly the opposite of what you should do. Use the guy because he is a defensive center capability, and then he allows you then to have four perimeter guys around him and make it impossible to guard on offense. Like you don't, you don't add more big guys with a guy who can defend the five. Like that's the point. You get a guy who can defend the five and then you get as many offensive smaller guys as you can. Um, But the things, but on the other note, as far as the triangle itself is concerned, it is a total fallacy that the triangle is not functional in the NBA and the can't be functional in the future. Now, no offense. Tell me why that is, Ben. (laughs) I would love to tell you why that is. It's because basically, if you look at the Warriors, the Warriors run a triangle and they run a motion offense combination. And so the Spurs run pretty much a straight motion offense and then with elements of the triangle and the Warriors run a triangle with elements of the motion. Now, almost every team in the NBA does that. Now, what exactly is the triangle? I think the issue is that people don't know what a triangle offense is. And in general, the triangle is just a couple concepts and there are a couple rules that you have to follow. And people get so bent out of, out of shape because of rules. But in reality, you have four options usually. And the triangle is named the triangle because you have a guy at the, at, at the mid post, you have a guy in the corner, and you have a guy at the foul line extended wing on the strong side, and that makes a triangle. And then with a, another triangle can be made from foul line extended. And just to clarify, foul line extended, because sometimes that's mis, uh, misunderstood with elbow. The elbow is on the on the nail, and foul line extended, if you extend the foul line to the three-point area, 
that's where that foul line extended is technically where you talk about that. It's not quite the wing. It's a little bit further toward the sideline, uh, toward the baseline than the wing. Anyway, so from the post to that foul line extended to the top of the three-point line makes another three, uh, another triangle. And then you have the other guy on the other opposite wing on the, on the weak side. So this is just like a basic spacing that happens to begin to begin with in classic triangle the ball handler comes up he throws the ball to the wing and then the point guard goes to that corner and then the guy from that wing or that foul line extended area looks to see whether he can throw the ball to that post if he can't that's the first option if he if he can then he throws the guy to the post and a lot of times in jordan's area that was Jordan. In Lakers era, it was frequently Shaq, because that's always important to remember that that in the Bulls era, Jordan played like the five in the triangle. Uh, so once you throw that ball into the post, the wing guy and the guy in the corner will both run through and do little cuts and then extended motion and back cuts on the on the weak side, etc. If that's not there, then you throw the, the ball. If you can't get to the to the post, you throw it back to the top, and then that guy sets a weak side screen, and then you have a two-man game on the weak side with like those dribble handoffs and all the stuff that you see all the time from every NBA team. If you have a third option, then you have a weak side, so instead of being the strong side post guy, I'm sorry if I'm losing people because it's hard without the visuals, but like... If you we're we're going to gonna post a couple links for everybody. Sure, because a lot of I mean, this is explained all over the internet, and yet these high-level basketball commentators act as like it's pop, something that. Brian Winters. Yeah, I just don't. It's or any of yeah the true hoop guys that I like listening to, but I just they don't. They will readily say, "I'm not an X and O guy," and then they'll say. But I know that the X and O, the triangle doesn't work in today's NBA. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, here's, here's so, one of the things. So uh, there's a great interview on Cavs.com uh, from a few years ago uh, interviewing uh, Luke Walton about the triangle and why don't more teams run the NBA the triangle. So here is the biggest reason that more teams don't run the quote-unquote triangle. A lot of the sets in the NBA are universal. Much of the triangle is just learning new terminology, and the triangle is completely different in terms of the con- continuity of it. The reason it takes so long, and it all makes sense once you, once you get it down, is that every time there's a pass, you have 20-some options. It's just how the defense is playing that night that you choose what option you're going to go with. And yep. every time you make the pass, the options for the other three guys change. That is why it's so difficult for so many players to learn. But what the Warriors do to simplify that, they just run set plays off that. Yeah. Well, they they did a – there was a breakdown that I saw. I can't remember who did it. I I should have checked that out because it was a really great breakdown. Talking about when Kerr implemented the offense in the Warriors – the guy said that they it's almost they skipped the first three options that you normally do in the triangle and then went to the fourth option. And the fourth option is basically instead of well and another aspect, instead of passing to the wing and then going to the corner from the point guard, like what you always see Derek Fisher going and whatever, whether it's Paxson in the old days, instead of that dribbling directly to the wing, having somebody 
already in the strong side corner and somebody on the post. Passing the ball to the corner and then that passer cuts straight down toward the, the basket. Along the base. If that cut, uh, no, so, so you have the guy at the post, the guy in the wing, the guy in oh, the, the corner. the guy in the, the wing, wing cuts to the Exactly. Base. So the guy from the wing cuts and gets kind of a brush screen from the guy from the post as he's going to toward the hoop. From there, after that screen, the postman then comes to the corner and sets a screen for the corner guy. Now, it seems tight, but what ends up happening is that if the defense wants to really trap that, then the, the screen setter slides out to the three-point near as an outlet, and you get a lot of those little flip-over-the-shoulder passes that Curry loves to throw to people sliding out to that wing wide-open three if they blitz too hard in the corner. Right, and then if they don't the blitz, other thing that can happen is the weak side can rotate to the top of the key and there's a pass there, right? Uh, yeah, but that, that's usually a little bit later. That's on the first or second option of this part. Okay. So what usually ends up happening, if, you don't, if they don't blitz, then that screen, that pick and roll from, from the corner, you then get the guy driving middle. And from there, then you might get some, what ends up happening is a lot of times the weak side guy will set a flare screen for the guy, uh, another weak side player. And then you have options for a three-point dead center. You have an option, uh, the corner three, and you have a middle pick and roll, basically. Like, all of these triangle principles flow very frequently and by rule into pick and roll ball. So what is the problem? <laughs> like... It's well, just it's the, the problem is you have a lot of guys in the NBA, cough cough Amari Stoudemire, who can't play in a set offense that abandon the principles of the offense before uh, the play can develop. Now, I think uh, not Amari Stoudemire. Did I say Amari Stoudemire? Well, he's yeah. actually an example of that, but I actually meant Carmelo Anthony. Um, okay. Uh, but and you get guys that just kind of break off the play and go do their own thing before that happens. And Kobe was notorious for that too. He drove Phil Jackson nuts, uh, breaking off the play and kind of doing his own thing. But the, as you said, the principles are there throughout the NBA. It's yeah. just what the Warriors have done have simplified the options or taken things out of it that don't fit their personnel which I always kind of felt like one of the things that Phil Jackson did poorly in uh, his stints was not and especially uh, Kurt Rambis was not simplify that for his personnel and especially for younger players uh, Kurt Rambis sorry go ahead no I guess it's just hard for me to think of that as being needing it to be simplified. The triangle, the point of it is that there are very specific things that you do when you see other things happen in front of you. So, like, you do have to make reads, but the reads come after necessities. So, like, if I pass the ball to the post, I know I must now cut to the hoop. I have to. That's the rule. And then if I don't get a, a pass there, then I go to the opposite corner. Now, if my defender plays high, then I go low. If he plays low, I go high. There are different versions of that, but that's just normal basketball. Okay, but if so I, I do got a that, question for you, Ben. Yeah. Did you go to college? 
I did go to college. Did you graduate college? <laughs> I did graduate college. Did most yeah. players in the NBA graduate college. I guess most would probably not have graduated. Yeah. Yeah. Are um, you applying college colleges? Uh, well, is, is I, I am. I, do you think that uh, these concepts are uh, drilled or practiced in uh, what is now known as AAU ball? No, that's certainly not not true. Yeah, I mean, they don't I, need I, to. I think this is a complete sea change for so many NBA players right now, and it is very hard for. I, I don't think it is uh, any accident that a three-year college player, a pair of three-year college players in Draymond Green and Steph Curry uh, are guys that are mastering the elements of the triangle offense right now. Uh, yeah, I, I think that cuts stuff, yeah. Well, I just think there's so few play. I think the mental aspect of the game it's hard for some players to pick up and it's hard for them to recognize patterns. It's the game moves really fast. And a lot of guys is, I just want to go play pick and roll. And there's a resistance to that. And I think the triangle's gotten a very bad reputation as well. And if guys who probably went to college and probably got degrees and probably had to take a lot of classes who are journalists can't get it. Uh, I I have a hard time thinking that every single basketball player in the world, and especially in the NBA, can get it. Yeah, but all right. So, do you think that those journalists don't get it because they try to get it and don't get it, or they just don't get it because they've decided that the triangle is something archaic and they just have never bothered to try to learn it? I honestly, I, I think it's learn. a societal problem or a social problem where people just don't try to learn concepts they think are complicated yeah i think what here's another thing too i think i think the action people talk about the spurs office as a motion offense what they don't understand about that is motion is a name of the offense you might as well call it steve it's not just people are moving you know what i mean so and so people think, okay, the triangle is this name so they can have opinions about it. And the motion offense is just, oh, people are moving and it promotes motion. Well, all offenses promote motion if they're decent offenses. A motion offense for the Spurs is the motion offense, and it has it's primarily based on motion weak or motion strong. And there are rules, just like there are in the triangle, for motion weak or motion strong, which, like, you have to do this in this order. That's, like, how plays work. And I don't think anybody, regardless of intellect or regardless of, you know, attention to detail or lack of attention, is ripping on the Spurs offense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to rip on a succession of plays that's not just pick and roll ball, then rip on all of those and rip on the Princeton offense and rip on emotion and rip on and flex and everything. But... You know, like just straight pick and roll ball. There's no team in the NBA that runs only straight pick and roll ball. The closest is the Rockets, and we all like want to gouge our eyes out when we watch them too long. Yeah. It's so boring. Yeah, and, and, and to counter you know. my argument, there. <laughs> no, to counter my own argument, none of this yeah. is any more complicated than any NFL offense. Oh or God, yeah. those Not things even. are insane. Not even close. This yeah. Is, 
this is 50 times simpler than that, and the same level of athletes can grasp that. So maybe I am full of crap when it comes to that. Maybe it's just a pride thing or, you know, poor coaching or, you know, guys just can't get it. But if those NFL guys can run some of those ridiculously complicated offenses, there's no reason that young athletes and, – and I'm not making this a black-white thing because I – there, there's absolutely none of that going on. If if those guys can master these NFL offenses and defenses, then the same level of athletes should be smart enough to run these these motion and triangle offenses. Yeah, and I think it's up to the media to have a grasp of what it is and not to give opinions when they say – you can't start something by saying – okay, Wendy just really annoyed me about this. You cannot start saying something – I'm not an X and O guy, but now I'm going to make a decision and a, a, an evaluation of X's and O's. Like, right. okay, good. Pick one, man. And and to your point in terms of like whether they can grasp it, whether they can, they absolutely can grasp it. It's a it's a decision for how we decide to name something and what it is and how often do you run it, you know? I think, you know, back to the AAU ball and all of that kind of stuff, you do have a point we all – we don't see the same level of screen and cut movement that we did before. I don't think kids, you know, under a certain age, I don't know what that age I'd have to, I'd pick an arbitrary number of 23, but whatever. Um, they don't get, they're not as used to cutting in certain places quickly because they usually like to have the, the ball in their hand. And maybe that's the, the root of all the evil. The guys like to hold the ball and decide what they're doing, whether it's in triple threat or whether it's with the dribble. But they like to have the ball in AAU ball, and they grow up. And to be perfectly honest, I do too, man. Like, if I'm playing pickup, I'm much more likely to be able to get something good going when I'm, you know, I'm at the top of the key and I have triple threat position and I'm thinking about where I'm going and I'm looking at my defender, where he's leaning and blah, blah, blah. And like little old me, like I can't ball compared to any of these people, obviously. But I do understand the idea of like you have the ball in your hand and you're like, this is nice. I enjoy basketball right now. You know, you know, why I win a lot of pickup ball, Ben. Why is that, man? Because I set back screens all day. And no defender yes. is used to that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, man. Now, here's right, this is all right. This is seriously an epidemic, and I don't know whether it's like this in the states right now. And like I was chalking this up to just being in Germany, but maybe this is a worldwide phenomenon. I'm playing ball, and I'm looking around for my teammates to while we're you know running baseline to set screens for each other, or you know what, a little flare screen running, running baseline. So, like, if I'm coming from the wing, so I'm, or I right. usually, almost every single time, if I'm coming down on the wing. And you're cutting through the I, key and running either to the opposite corner or the opposite wing after you get through. Yeah, I mean, there's just never, yeah, there's you never time if I'm. want to give you a rub screen when you're coming across the key. Exactly. There should be, if you're passing a teammate, you should be hitting their man, and they should be hitting your man. Right. Unless you're already open and you're about to make, you're receiving the pass and you're trying to have some space. But, like. Almost every other circumstance, I you should be. So much of that comes from. By the time you're in the key, most of the time, the other guy's shooting, and you should be boxing out. <laughs> that that to me is why you don't see more screens uh, across in the key, cross screens. Because yeah, but I mean that's 
like uh, that's early offense stuff is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're running down, you're running across, you know, you, you have a say you have the ball and I'm on the wing. I'm running down. I'm not just spacing to the wing. I'm initially I'm spacing to the wing and then I'm running toward the baseline, going along the baseline, doing a baseline screen with somebody and coming out the other side and then we start our offense. Yeah, you know no, I, mean? I run that. I mean, that you see that a lot in out of bounds plays, like or when you're checking yeah. the ball at the top of the key, but you don't see it enough. And yeah. and the other thing is, is like it's so easy. Like you just find a guy who's calling for the ball at the elbow, and then you just set a back screen on his man. And it's like it's so easy to get layups out of that in pickup because people are just not used to back screens. Yeah, just like it. Anything. So anyway, speaking. Anyway. So back to like the NBA, not our ridiculous attempt yeah, this, to play. This has own. been uh, pickup ball this is podcast. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, to be so fair, it's not this, the hey, uh, man, this podcast oh. is getting a little uh, long in the tooth. <laughs> long in the tooth. <laughs> That's right. At least we didn't get to uh, old man uh, grumbles and video games and stuff like uh, we've had in previous pods. Ah, those are the best part. <laughs> Oh man! All right. So did we? What did I want to? Did we hit everything that we want to so talk about? You right? Wanna, have you? Is there anything else you need to say about the triangle? I think we've said it all, and then some. I think I think you should have elements, and the if elements of the triangle are not in your offense, you're running a bad offense. Okay. And and uh, pundits who don't know what they're talking about should stop spouting off about it. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> okay. It's so I wanted to touch on a couple more things, and I didn't mention yeah. this earlier. Uh, Victor Oladipo was oh, in the Cavs, or was it was it the Cavs defense, which was horrible, or was it Victor Oladipo starting to make the leap? Which one was it, or is it a little bit of both? Uh, it's a little bit of both, and also the third option of that he was just on fire. Yeah. And the I mean, never pushed him left. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, all of those things kind of perfect storm. But yeah. if he doesn't have, you know, if he doesn't have flames coming out of his butt, like it's it's a different. I mean, sometimes guys just get on fire, and there's nothing you can do. The guy's a decent shooter, but he's not like that. Even if you left him alone in the gym, you know. Right. Uh, I know that they were playing him in the first half. Like the scouting report would di- uh, scouting report should dictate. Like you go underneath, you let him have that jumper. If he wants to pull up a jumper, then fine. And he was just drilling everything. So I don't think yeah, I'm not really over his last five games. Twenty six points a game, four rebounds, three point two assists, only one point six turnovers, which was always his problem. Yeah, uh, one point six <laughs> turnovers not- in thirty seven minutes a night. Yeah, but he's not running the point anymore, which is nice no, for him. Well, I, think I don't know why they ever ran him at the point. It was dumb. <laughs> well, I mean, to well, be no, fair, he's, that not they... point, he's not a point guard. I, he no. can be a combo guard, but he's much better as an isolation player or a, a guy who can catch coming off the curl in that triple threat and either slash to the rim, make the swing pass, or shoot. Totally. I totally agree, but I think even even at the time, the argument was we're doing this for his development as much as because this is his final yeah. his final result, you know. Um, I think the way that, that the trade seemed interesting at the time, and maybe 
maybe didn't make them better to a lot of people's eyes as far as getting rid of uh, Harris. I totally disagree. I thought you signed Harris last year to see, to have a, have an asset and to see what it would bring you. And if he develops properly or, you know, if it works out for your team, great. He's a, he's a solid young player and I like him. But if you have a guy who is ready to make his own little mini leap in Aaron Gordon, you are okay getting rid of him so you can open up some time for him at the four. No, and I, I think Orlando is going to be a playoff team or knocking on the door next year. I think I fully expect Victor Oladipo to be an all-star next year in the way that Jimmy Butler really developed in his fourth year. And the way Oladipo is playing right now, I mean, he was ridiculous. And that was in the middle of a span of four 20-plus point games. So it's not like this is all just coming out of nowhere. Uh, The guy is, and he's shooting 85% at the line, 58% from the floor. Uh, The guy is playing out of his mind, and it still makes me want to throw up in my mouth every time I hear that Anthony Bennett is out of the league. <laughs> I feel so sorry for that kid. I feel more I sorry for us, but like, <laughs> it's, it's rough, man. No. Yeah. Talk about like just someone who is completely unprepared to be the number one pick of the NBA draft. So yeah, anyway, I mean, uh, 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 so any, uh, any parting shots, parting thoughts? Uh, we've got the Nuggets coming up. Did the Cavs get healthy against the Nuggets? Are they better? You would God. hope so. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's one of those games that, that makes everybody pretend that everything is all hunky-dory. Or at least I hope so, because I'm, yeah. I'm capping it. So <laughs> I don't feel like... Well, I've, I I've felt a lot that lost. way a lot about the, the Mavericks game when Kevin Love was beaten up on scrubs. And it's like, well, yeah, he should be dominating these guys. <laughs> You know. Well, he, he was beaten up on on smaller players. They're not scrubs necessarily, but yeah, they're scrubs uh, when it comes to post defense. So <laughs> anyway, I'll take it. Uh, my uh, yeah. So I hope the Cavs uh, turn around, uh, turn it around this week. I hope that uh, they can flick the switch in the playoffs, and I hope lose rotations and kind of the. Uh, product that we see from the Cavs both in terms of the way they play and who plays at what points become more consistent uh, from game to game going forward because I think right now it's a mess so as always go Cavs go Cavs thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire.